Appalachia. Appalachia is a very distinct word, and everybody has their own opinion of what it represents. Moreover, though, whether it's right or wrong, it stirs up images of everything from indescribable mountaintop beauty, deep forest, and cabins in the wood to trailer parks, meth heads, extreme prejudice, and xenophobia. The fact that one word can bring up such a huge response is an owed to its far-reaching influence in society. The Appalachian Mountains are the oldest mountains in the world. They once towered 30,000 feet into the air and currently stretch from Canada through 14 states all the way to Louisiana. The inhabitants of these mountains through the many years of their existence have lived through and witnessed what can only be described as horrendous, demeaning, and even downright unbelievable history as we are now learning every day is not exactly what we've been told and what was once thought to be nothing more than fairy tale is now coming to light as truth. I often hear references to the movie Deliverance or people making funny banjo sounds when describing the Appalachians. I, being born and raised in these mountains, know that nothing in fact could be more wrong or, in some cases, more right. The history that lies in these mountains is rich and has been around longer than any place in the United States. In fact, far longer than the United States itself. We'll look into these mountains and learn about the good, the bad, and the ugly history that lies within them to this very day. Hello, I'm Larry Bentley, and this is Appalachian Murder, Mystery, and Legend. Listen, my good friends, as I tell you the true story of the Hart brothers. They were referred to as highwaymen of the Appalachians and, well, as pirates of the Appalachians as well, and are so far the earliest documented serial killers in American history. Now, I must warn you up front, this one's a bit rough to listen to, and if you're a bit squeamish on the evils of man, you may want to bypass this episode up. It's pretty ugly. The Hart brothers were from what I could find born in Scotland and moved with their parents to Orange County, North Carolina. Most sources available agree that Micah, who was known as Big Harp, was born around 1768 and Wiley, known as Little Harp, around 1770. Just a few years before the American Revolution. Now their parents were Tories and or loyalists to the king and so they were raised that way. By the war's end the Hart brothers were teenagers who joined loyalist gangs to kill, pillage, and destroy. It's only fair to mention that the Continental Army actually done much of the same things in the name of freedom but that was the new guerrilla tactic that came with this war and made it hard for the British to fight. Near the end of the war, the Hart brothers' parents bolted on them, whether voluntary or not, and the young men were left to fend for themselves. It's when they joined what is called a renegade band of Cherokee, but not before stopping long enough to kidnap two girls, 
Susanna Wood, who went by Susan Roberts, and Maria Davidson, who went by Betsy Roberts. They then took them to the Cherokee Chickamauga town of Nickajack, where they would take up residence, well, anyway, for a time being. Now, the area known as Nickajack generally refers to the rugged Appalachian foothills in eastern Tennessee and northern Alabama. In the late 18th century, during the ongoing war with the Chickamauga, the area was inhabited by Chickamauga Cherokee and Muscogee Creek warriors residing in five lower towns in the Tennessee River near the present-day Chattanooga. The warriors were mostly made up of Cherokee led by Chief Dragon Canoe. Small towns of Shawnee and Creek lived with and fought with them, in addition to occasional bands of Muscogee and who had served as their allies. Renegade whites, white traders, Spanish, French, and British agents, and runaway slaves also inhabited the area, which is how Big and Little Harp ended up there. Right before the American army crushed Nickajack and all of its inhabitants, the Harp Gang, as they were now called, headed to East Tennessee. Along the way, the Harp brothers killed their partner, Moses Doss, because he paid too much attention to their women. I suppose that virtually ended the fledgling Harp Gang for the time being anyway, didn't it? In 1795, the Harp brothers came to Knox County where they were settled back into the life in a cabin alongside Beaver Creek near the Holston River. Here, the brothers bred hogs for slaughter and sold pork to local butcher shops. Little Harp met a young woman named Sarah Rice and legally married her in June of 1797. And not to be upstaged, Big Harp legally married Susanna in September of the same year. That left poor Betsy, who was still there, as a third wheel in both marriages. But not to worry, though. Both men, being true gentlemen that they were, shared Betsy as what they called their concubine. As time went, though, uh, wouldn't you know that some of the town's livestock would begin to come up missing, followed by a scourge of barn burnings that left a slew of barns in the area completely burned to the ground. And to beat all of that, the Hart brothers seemed to be unfazed by it all as they were going to the butcher shop more often to sell their stock, which they seemed to have an unending supply of. Then, finally, the straw that broke the camel's back when somebody and I use that term loosely, stole Knox County local Edward Teal's high-end and well-bred horses right out of his stable. Now, these horses were considered the Cadillac of the time, and this made everybody in the area about as mad as an old wet hen. So, with that, a posse was formed. They hunted down and captured both brothers and started back toward Knoxville jail. It's not clear how, but uh, the Hart brothers got away from them and run off. That's when, for some unknown reason, and not that they hadn't already done enough, the Hart brothers went on a homicidal rampage, which started in early 1798. The Harp women, who would later say that being captured was the turning point when their men declared war on all kind of men. 
or on all mankind, I guess, as you'd say, today. Now, I don't know what the Harps thought was going to happen when folks found out about their criminal enterprise, but it seems like the brothers thought that whatever the consequences were supposed to be shouldn't apply to them. After their escape, they would hunt down and kill anybody who, right or wrong, they suspected of trying to give away their location to the posse who were still looking for them. They came upon a man named Johnson in what was called a rowdy groggery. Today we call them bars and taverns, those among a few other less admirable names. They found the man Johnson outside Knoxville and immediately dragged him out of the place and killed him on the spot. They then dragged his body down to the Holson River, disemboweled him, filled his body cavity with rocks in hopes of sinking the man to the bottom of the river. It might have worked for a few days, but old Johnson, or what was left of him, rose to the top and was found a few days later drifting along the river. The brothers and their women then rode like the wind on the wilderness road through the Cumberland Gap and on to Kentucky, where it didn't take them long to get right back where they left off, and they robbed and murdered a peddler named Peyton in December of 1798. They then shot Paca and Bates, two men from Maryland who were just lucky enough to stumble upon them on the trail. Bates died straight away, but Paca, who'd been shot, staggered around and tried to get away. Big Harp used his trusty tomahawk to split the poor man's head open. Then they helped themselves to the dead man's belongings. The now completely broke Harp gang, whose skill at robbery didn't seem to pay off in any large sum, and which still consisted of five, three of which were the women who were then considered hostages, stopped at a place for travelers called Ferris Inn. A kindly man named Stephen Lankford offered to pay for the food and the room for him, as people did in those days. Despite their tough exterior, people took care of each other with their kindness back then. The Harps, of course, being full of gratitude, sized up the man's fine clothing and the jingle in his coin purse, keeping that in mind for the future reference being that in those days travelers would get together in groups as protection against beasts, thieves, and murderers, the Harps persuaded Mr. Lankford that they should all travel together for the protection of the entire group. Well, cattle herders found Mr. Lankford's body a couple of days later, then yet another posse was formed, and Santa Claus had a big surprise as they managed to track down and capture the Harp gang on Christmas Day. They were taken to Stanford Jail in Lincoln County, Kentucky. The brothers and their now pregnant wives and the pregnant Betsy were transported to Danville Jail in January 1799 for trial. But as is now the norm for the brothers, they escaped on March 16, 1799 and left the incarcerated women to fend for themselves. The women were tried and acquitted in April and all three women gave birth right in the jail. By all accounts, the women were treated very well. The community rallied together and gave them money, items, and an old horse to get to Knoxville. It was felt that they would all be safe and that they were clear of the harps now. The women thanked the town and headed off to Knoxville, big smiles on their faces. 
After about 30 miles, the women changed direction from Knoxville, turning toward the Green River, where they traded the old horse for a canoe and started downriver to meet the Hart brothers at a prearranged location. So much for them being innocent hostages, huh? Of course, one has to consider that these women had saw the pure evil of these men. Two of them were married to the brothers. They witnessed savage murders at the hands of these men. If they escaped, the Hart brothers, who were cunning woodsmen, would hunt them down one at a time and apparently get by with it. I imagine they thought about their families, their fathers, mothers, brothers, sisters, grandparents, or even nieces, nephews, or cousins, and considered their safety as well. The Harps did horrible, horrible things with not so much as a thought put to it. They wouldn't think twice about killing a family or two. It wouldn't bother them in the least. An unprecedented manhunt made by the aforementioned posse met with no success. The brothers were nowhere to be found. April or so around that month, one member of the posse tried to persuade Daniel Trabu, who was a U.S. colonel, to join the search. While they met and discussed the possibility with Colonel Trebu, the Harps showed up and killed the colonel's 13-year-old son, Johnny, for nothing more than a bit of flour and a few beans, and did it right under the colonel's nose just a few hundred feet away. His body was so beaten and dismembered that he was completely unrecognizable. Now, that rose so much attention that on April 22nd, Kentucky's Governor Gerard issued a proclamation placing a $300 bounty on each harp. That's worth about $6,500 apiece in today's money. The report reached the public around midday. By then, the pair had killed another man named Dooley in Medcalf County, Kentucky. They then went and camped out on Barren River across from Frederick Stump's place who welcomely rode across in his boat with his fiddle and a whole mess of fish. It would seem that old Frederick hadn't seen anybody for a while. Now, not being from Appalachia, some may wonder just what a mess is. I have no idea where the term originated, but myself being from the mountains, I can tell you what it means. When somebody brings a mess of something, they've brought an overabundance of it, more than enough, and have usually done so out of the kindness of their hearts. The Harps, of course, thanked him properly by stabbing, disemboweling, stuffing his body with rocks, and dumping him in the river just like they did old Johnson scarcely a year earlier. They then smashed poor Stump's fiddle on a tree as they cursed the screeching sound it made. I'll be right back. You're listening to Appalachian Murder, Mystery, and Legend with Larry Bentley. The brothers finally ran all the way to Cave and Rock, Illinois, where the infamous Samuel Mason and his river pirates stayed. Sometime in the earlier part of 1799, that's where they settled with the other outlaws. However, it didn't take long for them to get tired of them. During the Harp's very first excursion into the pirating business, the Mason gang captured a flatboat. The brothers took one of the captives, stripped him naked, blindfolded him, tied him to a blindfolded horse, and drove both of them off a 100-foot cliff as the Mason gang watched in horror and indignation. 
the harps were immediately kicked out of the Mason gang and were once more on the lam. So they left and swung through Kentucky on their way back to Knoxville, Tennessee. It's pretty bad when you're so mean that the worst of the criminal gangs don't even want you around. If you think you've heard it all so far, just grab onto your hat and hold on because things are about to really get ugly. By the month of July 1799, the brothers were already back in Knoxville in the area where they got right back to work and killed a farmer named Bradbury and another man named Harden. They then murdered a young boy named Coffee just to take his rifle on Black Rope Ridge. A few days after this, they murdered William Ballard, disemboweled him and weighted his body down with rocks, I suppose because it had worked so well for him in the past. On July 29th, the Harps were in what is now Morgan County, Tennessee. They came upon two brothers, James and Robert Brassel. The Harps decided to use an old trick of theirs. They asked the Brazel brothers to join them in the hunt for the evil Harp brothers. The Brazels agreed, and off they all rode together. They rode deep into the woods where the Harps accused the Brazel brothers of being the Harps and ordered them to dismount and turn over the weapons. One of the Harps tied James Brazel's hands with while Robert Brazel jumped off his horse and tried to get James' gun. Robert made his escape out running little Harp, who chased and shot at him. After running ten miles, and that ain't nothing to sneeze at, especially through the woods and in the mountains, Robert met Mr. Dale and his group of four travelers and asked for their help. They went to the spot where the incident occurred, which is now known as Brazel's Knob, and were horrified to find that James was not only dead, but that his body had been beaten so unrecognizable that he was nothing more than a pulp in his throat had been cut from ear to ear. Then near the Tennessee-Kentucky border, the Harps went straight on and murdered John Tully, then came across and murdered John Graves and his son. Then near today's Adair, Kentucky, the brothers slaughtered the entire Trisward family, consisting of at least ten men, women, and children. They were savagely murdered, their bodies stripped and mangled and grotesquely disfigured. Then, while fleeing that scene, they came across a young boy. They stopped and was bashed his head in against a tree for nothing more than being there. Then, they murdered a young girl who was picking berries and wandered further from home than she usually did. She just happened upon the harps. The brothers decapitated her, cut off one of her legs, and cut the toes off of her other foot that was still attached to her body. Then in August of 1799, Big Hark woke up in the middle of the night in a rage and killed his own baby. He is supposed to have said that was the only murder that he ever regretted. I seriously doubt that. The baby was around nine months old and started to cry because it was sick. Big Harp took the helpless child, slung it by the heels against a tree, and literally busted its head into a dozen pieces. He then threw it into the woods as far as he could throw it. Big Harp said of the murder, It cried, I killed it. I had always told women I would have no crying about me. Yeah. Indeed, sources say the Harps killed several of their own children. At least three children were said to have made it out of this family of sorts, I guess, alive. But 
the majority of their offspring seemed to have been slaughtered for nothing more than being there. The harps continued to on to Kentucky, now disguised as of all things Methodist preachers. They came upon a cabin of Miss Stegall, who wasn't at home. Uh, Mr. Stegall, who wasn't at home. As was the custom back then and still remains today in a good part of Appalachia, Mr. Stegall's wife, Mary Stegall, invited the brothers to a hospitable dinner and provided a place to sleep. Fellow traveler Major William Love was already there. The Stegalls had a four-month-old baby named James. Big Harp was to sleep in the room with Major Love, but Major Love's snoring kept him awake, so he kindly smashed his tomahawk through his skull to shut him up and went back to sleep. The next morning, the baby Stegall had the unfortunate circumstance to start crying. Big Harp, promptly, without much thought, never second thought about it at all, slit the baby's throat, and when Miss Stegall screamed, she met the same fate. The brothers then burned the family's house completely to the ground. They left the Stegall's now smoldering hole in the ground and quickly noticed the evening campsite of two men, Hudgens and Gilmore. The Harps watched them all night and formatted a plan for them. The next morning, Big and Little Harp took the men into, as they called it, custody and accused them of the Stegall murder, robbery, and arson. They then shot Gilmore, who died immediately, but Hodgins got loose and it didn't get far because it didn't do him no good. The Harps caught him and killed him. When Moses Stegall returned home and found the awful scene, he was enraged and immediately formed a posse to find those responsible for it. At this time, the population was sparse and miles between neighbors, and law enforcement was either non-existent or too long coming. These murders were finally the last straw for everybody. It was time for some Appalachian vigilante justice to take hold. The posse found the camp littered with what was left of the two men and chased after the brothers. Didn't seem to me that they'd be too hard to find because they leave a trail of dead bodies everywhere they went. By this time, unbeknownst to the posse, the brothers had split up and went in two different directions. This was probably a tactic that they successfully used to elude other posses. Being that this posse was being led by one very angry man who'd lost everything to the brothers, they didn't give up so easy, and Big Harp won the honor of being the one that they chased. He was chased into Muhlenberg County, Kentucky, where he was finally shot by a man named Leeper and detained bleeding on the ground. They sent for Moses to Gaul, and once Moses arrived on the scene, Big Harp, who was very conscious and mad as a rabid dog about being shot, spat and cursed at Moses as he slowly cut Big Harp's head off with his own hunting knife. Big Harp's last words were, You're a damn rough butcher, but cut on and be damned. After Moses decapitated Big's head, he put it on a stick in a tree. The Harp women were soon captured and arrested again and given a trial in Russellville, Kentucky, where they were once again acquitted and set free to live their lives. Little Harp escaped to Natchez, Mississippi for a while before going back to the Mason Gang in Cave and Rock using the alias John Seton. That was until Little Harp learned a handy bit of information on Samuel Mason. He was a wanted outlaw with $2,000 on his head. 
That's worth about 42000 in today's money. Knowing that was about all little Harp could bear. He wanted that money, so he and another criminal attacked Mason. Little Harp, of course, as was the norm for him, took it to extremes as he decapitated him and then promptly beat his partner to death as well. Little Harp then preserved the head, took and gave it to authorities to collect the bounty money. Apparently, he didn't think this one through, or he just simply forgot that he was still a wanted man too and was immediately recognized, arrested, put on trial, found guilty, and hanged in February of 1804, just that fast. They weren't taking any chances this time. So now you've met the first recorded serial killers in American history. I'm sure there were others who were much less known by being much less brazen in their exploits, but as far as making it official, the Harp brothers did that and then some. Big, remember Big and Little Harp. Next time you're on your own in the middle of the Appalachian Mountains on a walk, and if you feel that old familiar chill of being watched, after all, it couldn't be the Harps, right? I hope you enjoy our story today. If you have, please rate and review the podcast, and don't forget to subscribe. Join me on Facebook or MeWe at Appalachian Murder Mystery and Legend Podcast Group, where we can discuss anything and everything Appalachian. I'll be back soon with another Appalachian Murder Mystery or Legend. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you then.